Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets are among the league leaders in three-point attempts. It's a bold strategy, Cotton, but will it pay off in the end? We dive in, coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're 100% free on all those great platforms. And let you know today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And Doug, I like to take time off. And I think if I was going to, why not avoid that rock fight that the Brooklyn Nets came out on top over the Washington Wizards. Great job by you breaking it down. But it did open up, I think, a broader conversation about strategy for this Nets team going forward this season. Yeah, look, it just comes down to what we've seen from them basically since the beginning of the year and something that they've spoken about just openly as a strategy for the team, both on a team level and on a personal level or per, excuse me, not a personal level, a player level. And that is just personal level. And personally, this is what we're going to do. No, it's just that the strategy for the Nets clearly has been that they're going to shoot. They want to and are going to shoot a lot of three pointers this season. That has been made clear both in actions and what, what they've said. And we kind of wanted to sit here and talk about whether a that's a correct strategy and B whether the fan base can basically endure the variance that you have to live with <laughs> when this is going to be your team strategy. Cause I think there's sort of fundamental questions probably about both. Right. And it's very difficult to watch this strategy be employed when the three pointers are not going down yeah. <laughs> and there, but that also doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad idea. And I think like that's probably the core question that the Nets are going to have both now and going forward with the team they have is like, is this something we're going to keep seeing? And is this the right strategy going forward? Yeah, and it really opened up for me because you go back to that game, obviously, against Washington. They win 104-90, uh, 102-94, excuse me, but 24% from beyond the arc, right? Nobody in particular. I guess you want to single out Royce O'Neal, three for seven, did a decent job. But we know the struggles at the forefront of Mikhail Bridges. And what jumped out to me was, Jock Vaughn, when asked in the post game about early season struggles for McHale, you know, what do you see in there? Are you concerned? He said, no, you know, he likes to get into that mid range and that's comfortable. But I honestly wouldn't have, I'm paraphrasing here, wouldn't have hated if he took a few more threes. And, and, and this is one of the, <laughs> this is hard for me. Cause when he, first of all, he took 14. So we're talking about, you want to take 17 shots from beyond the arc. And you broke down the difference between his, his shooting percentage versus the beyond the arc shooting percentage. And the question that it rang for me was, do the Nets and Jock Vaughn and this coaching staff need to isolate this belief in heavy perimeter shooting? There's a group of guys on this roster that are built for that solely, but then there are other players that can do more than just be a three and D wing that just creates space on the floor there and knock down the shots when they come. But Kilbridge's is one of those guys. And I wonder if, if it's fundamentally making it a little bit more difficult for Mikhail to get himself going here early in the season because there is this tenant fire, fire, fire from beyond the arc. And I, and I will, I'll let you respond, but there is a reason why I think in this game, you saw more from the outside from him than you had previously to start the season. 
Yeah, so I think in general, I feel like I have a pretty steady hand around this kind of thing. And I can't and won't be swayed by one or two or probably even five games worth of 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 stats that like have them clanking bricks off of you know clanking bricks off of three-point misses and some of their misses did look bad right like just for the eye test it was some of bridges some of bridges were of the in and out variety some were sort of no hope where you could kind of tell when it left his hand right and so and those are hard to, to watch and for fans that have you know moderate ptsd from joe harris threes over the years and, and stuff <laughs> like that like it's going to be it's going to be probably tough and and to watch this because especially if, especially if you are older Right. Like the older generation has an even harder time with this because this is yeah, you and all your buddies, <laughs> not me. Yeah. People much older than me, Adam. Um, you know, like, you know, like my older cousin, yeah. <laughs> my slightly older cousin <laughs> who was born earlier in the year than I was. I was. a you know, Yeah. Yeah. Dude. He's like, you know, he's like one point five years older than me. But um, so, no, the I think in general, you know, from a stylistic point of view, the, this is hard. And, and yeah. from an aesthetic point of view, it's hard. And when you watch three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer miss you it's hard to have like like i said a steady hand around the strategy i do think based on who the nets have on this team this is easily the correct strategy for them mm -hmm. like and it's to me not even all that close based on personnel and based on some of the other guys even the non-three-point shooters that they have that they should employ this strategy but when you are watching a game and it's just two for 14 for Bridges from three, right? When it's two for 11 for Cam, when it's when it's 0 for 5 for Dinwiddie, mm -hmm. and it feels like a shot is never going to go in, it does make you want to change to to kind of flip the script by the way they won the game <laughs> but, like, also, right like this massive footnote that mikhail bridges was the team leader in plus minus at plus 17 that he did score yes. 27 points in this game and that they did right. win the game which is obviously what you and i often talk about even sometimes in losses we go the other way and say well in spite of the loss some of the numbers tell us that this was a positive here it feels like we're even trending a little bit negative well, you I heard i mean the podcast i did yesterday but you if you would just listen to the sound of my voice and not the words that were coming out you would have thought they right. lost <laughs> just based on based on the overall sort of emotional tenor of it and part and by the way part of it was and sorry to interrupt you but part of it was me feeling sort of the side effects of watching these yeah. shot after shot after shot miss and i'm like and i'm the one that's telling you right now that i think that that strategy should continue and even for right. me it's hard to watch in the moment but there are other stats that bear it out that like this this is what they should continue doing but anyway yeah sorry but like yeah you no. can just it definitely the 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 emotion doesn't seem to match what the outcome is for sure. Yeah, well, and, and, and it's also so inside of this game, too, like I would also say like there, there can be the, the the argument for case by case scenarios. You're playing the Washington Wizards. They're a bad defensive team. Now, three point shots when they're wide open and they go down, it's good when ball doesn't go down bad. But also you could probably fundamentally beat this team up and not have to take the sheer volume, 49 attempts from beyond the arc, right? At some point when that is not going down, and we talked about this early in the season, even when it came to Royce O'Neal and, and being in the lineup or, you know, adjust, making that adjustment, I think in game, it's okay to say, hey guys, that shot isn't falling right now. We can go ahead and tweak the process here for a quarter. Let's just get ourselves rolling here. And then yeah. when you start to put that pressure on them, you go back to it. And I know that Doug fundamentally disagrees with that. When we come back out of the break here in a second, We'll also get into the Nick Claxton of it all and, and why I think that that probably changes how you approach not just the Wizards games, but games overall. There, there's more to this, and I'll see if Doug can take me off my three-point strategy ledge in just a second.
All right, before we get to that, we'll tell you about our friends over at Ibotta. How does free Thanksgiving sound this year? Ibotta is here to give you cash back and help make sure your Thanksgiving table is complete. Who wants turkey without the gravy? Turkey's great, but we all know the best part of Thanksgiving dinner is the sides. With Ibotta, you can make sure you get the whole family's favorite side dishes and the turkey all while getting yourself cash back. Starting November 1st, for the fourth year in a row, Ibotta is giving 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving feast. Just add the offers in the Ibotta app to redeem for everything you need to make sure your Thanksgiving feast is complete. All you have to do is shop at your favorite retailers and upload your receipt. You heard me correct on that one, folks. All you're doing is shopping. You're uploading your receipt, and Ibotta is just giving you 100% cash back for everything you need on that Thanksgiving feast. Download the Ibotta app now. Use the code LOCKED to get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. So we're already past that. Go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCKED. All right. So as we continue the discussion around strategy, Cotton, and is it a bold one for the Brooklyn Nets to be going the way they are with the three-point shooting? Uh, We're going to get into Nicholas Claxton here because I think there's an impact, one, not just in this game or stylistically how you play, but then him individually and and what he means for this team because I do want to bring out the positives of his return to the court. When you can jump in with your rebuttal against the idea of going away for stretches of a game from the three-point shooting, but more specifically to me, is just the Mikhail Bridges of it. Like, you know, not every player has the mid-range game that Mikhail does. He, unlike some other guys, can effectively get inside the arc. He, he had some nice little turnaround fadeaway jump shots. I, I think at some point, and you backed these numbers out last night in the post game, when you look and see that he was 9 of 15 from the field, but ends up going 11 of 29 because of the three-point shots, at some point... You have to, you have to at least on again on an individual game level say, okay, the shot isn't falling. How do we just make sure? Because that game could have there's a world where that game all of a sudden is going down to single possessions in the last minute. You know, like, it's the Washington Wizards. It's not playing against Boston. It's not playing against the upper echelon teams where you feel like if we do not hit our three-point shots, we're going to have a much harder time staying in and maybe coming out on the winning side. Yeah, I can just never subscribe to the it's not working right now. So we should shift this around things like this right now. If it's, if it's something like we're trying three point attempts and we're not getting any clean looks and we're bombing them up at the end of the shot clock. Yes. Then I think that like that strategy should change. Um, If it's, we're trying three pointers with guys who haven't traditionally made three pointers in their career. I think you should change the strategy. Right. But if the, if the long-term, sort of stati- uh, statistical analysis says that like these guys can make three pointers over the course of their career in game because a few shots have not gone in. Mm-hmm. You should not shift your strategy. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like, that's just not statistically grounded. So I, I well, do okay, think, but, okay. That so I, I'll push back on that. When we get, when we start to think about Nicholas Claxton, who in 28 minutes was five or seven from the field, had 13 rebounds, a couple of assists four blocks. He's, he's, he's incredible on the defensive end. And I, and I do want to get to his value there. But when you see that, like, well, well, let me ask you this first. Do you think that Nicholas Claxton's return and his non, you know, what what he functionally is on the offensive end, you can get him in near the basket. He can score that way. But then you also think about everybody else spacing out and staying away from maybe unlike even though Ben Simmons will get into the paint and distribute. It's a different type of of occupation of the paint and of of the the area on that floor there that maybe makes it harder to go into the mid range with consistency. 
Yeah, so I think with Claxton, you know, he took seven attempts in 28 minutes. Those were all, like, a couple were just, like, him beating a guy off the dribble, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple were of the, like, offensive rebound variety. I, I think that, like, you're not going to probably ever feature him as a core part of your offense, so I don't no. think that, like, I don't think you're, like, feeding Nick Claxton, like, shot attempts because, you, you know, I mean, he has a good effective field goal percentage because he gets a lot of his shots when he takes them around the rim, but I don't think you're, you know, running offense through him. I, again, like, if you look at the stats for the whole season for the Nets, you know, this year they rank, uh, they still rank yeah, eighth, even after this horrible game against the Wizards. They were third going into the game, uh, and this this game was so bad that it actually dropped them down five slots. They, they rank eighth overall in three-point percentage, so you like to see that. So they're shooting well above you know, the average, uh, mm-hmm. over the course of the season, their three point attempts remain really high fourth overall. I think just based on the personnel that they have and the returns, because by the way, they are shooting better than league average from three. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're shooting. You know, if you looked at last year from the post all-star break, sort of after the trade was made, they took a lot of threes, but they actually weren't making them right. Like they were 20th in the league in three point percentage, even though they were like fourth in terms of overall attempts there, you kind of say to yourself, well, it's just kind of not happening here. Now, some of that was run bad from DFS, and some of some of these other guys just weren't shooting well overall. But this year, the returns have been there again. But like, I think we just get sometimes we can be prisoners of the moment because we it's really hard to watch the misses in real time. But if you just back yourself out for the course of the season, you'll see that the strategy has, by and large, played worked out. Right? Like, if you're if you're top ten in the league in something. You with this team too, like it's not like they have Steph Curry and these other guys on the team. Like it's hard to argue with the results. Uh, yeah, I I do agree with you on that. I think it's it's a little bit different now. I, I shouldn't even say that. I, w- I won't say that because there were open looks that didn't go down. And I'm not going to look at a guy like Cameron Johnson and say like, oh boy, you should stop firing from beyond the arc because that is like your core identity. Just yeah. specifically, I think I'll bring it back just specifically to Mikhail Bridges and trying to get a player into a little bit more of a flow this season than it seems like. And you t- you know, whether or not it could be concerning with what we're seeing over the first 10 games of the year. Now, listen, it's it's 14 shot attempts from beyond the arc, so it's going to skew things. But y- you back this out. The three games prior to that, he was three for 15 from beyond the arc. Now, he shot well against Boston, four of 11, three of eight against Chicago. But overall, he's 28% on the season. He yep. only has three games, including that Boston, Chicago, you throw in against Dallas in the second game of the season. Those are the three games that he shot above 36% from beyond the arc. So I'm more, even just on, on his isolated level, I think it's okay to say, Hey, our team strategy is taking threes. If you go into this game against Washington or any game for that matter, and you tell me that we're going to take 49, three point attempts from beyond the arc. And listen, Spencer Dinwiddie was 0 for 5. But if you told me Spencer Dinwiddie was 0 for 8, I almost would say, yeah, well, that functionally makes more sense. You're trying to get him going as well from deep. I I, I don't know what the distribution should be here, but there's something that just feels off when you have your leading shot getter, 29 shots, 12 more than the next closest guy, 13 more than the next closest guy in Cameron Johnson. And he's being doing so well in one area and struggling in another. I think it's okay maybe to like, take that strain off of his head and say, you know what? Dude, lean into it, man. The mid-range is there for you. Let's And by the way, it's the Wizards. Let's bury this Wizards team, and we can do it on the strength of your mid-range shooting for this one game, just so that we come out with a much more positive vibe, rather than, like you did, rightfully, you come out and go, as a win, but, but good Lord, like what did we just watch against a bad Wizards team? Yeah, and I, I get that. I get that feeling. And I mean, and the case for that too, right, is that like Bridges has, especially since the trade, 
been good in the mid range too. So we do right. know it's like a good, that is a positive EV shot for him. And so I think from that standpoint, you do, it's not like you feel worse about it. It's just that look, the math, I hate to be like, you know, didactic about this, but the math on the three pointer is just solved. It's just worth 50% more than twos. Like I, I like that part seems to sometimes oftentimes be lost among in the noise of, you know, whether or not they should do it. It's worth 50 again, 50% more than the other shot. If you stand one foot in like in a mid range shot or three feet in, and that is a lot. Like that's just, it's, it's just, is, right. More. Right. Well, just, but I, I think sometimes maybe people don't even understand that, like that, that how much more this is when it comes to the three pointer, like we've said this multiple times, the, the math is to some point, like NBA has been solved. Like this is kind of a solved game. Now, whether you have the guys to be able to go out and do it is not mm -hmm. so much, is not so solved, but the math on the game has been solved. And to the to the sports detriment, frankly, it's it's it might not be long term viable for the sport to keep going like this with the three pointer worth so much. Like they might have to, frankly, end up changing the rules or the size of the court or something because it just the nerds got in here and figured this out and 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 there's no way to there's no way to like refute it. But and so I get that it's hard, but in in general, but with go to go back to bridges, I'm going long here, but to go back okay. to bridges, I do agree with you. He is good at this other thing. It's fine to lean into this also. And maybe there's a way that, you know, when guys start to cook, then the other pieces come around too. I think there is validity in that. Yeah. And I'll to, to crystallize your, when you're talking about the three point shooting, you know, it's like saying the math of it. If you go three for seven from beyond the arc below 50%, if you go three for eight, let's say, right. Well, you're coming away with nine points. In order to achieve that, you're going to need at least 10 possessions to go inside the mid-range game. And you're going to have to hit 50%, right? Like in terms of those numbers. So it's like you, and I know this is very simple math, but to your point about sometimes losing it in it, it just takes more possessions to get there. So even when ball not going down more often than not from beyond the arc, as is the case, but in the aggregate, you you look across and go, oh yeah, but we still ended up at point X. My but the thing, my but the point is, you can you can sustain more misses there because of the because it's worth more. That's 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 my point. Like yeah yeah yeah, hundred percent. Like, like you can, my, I know you don't need to be have this explained yeah. to you, but like just in general for everyone out there, you can absorb more misses from three because the shot is worth more, <laughs> right? Like that's just that's just very simple. In my, in my case, as we'll turn our attention over to, I'm curious about, I want to make a, a statement about Nick Claxton and get your feedback, but also look kind of a little bit big picture here around Mikhail Bridges in this roster. My final note would just be, take 11 three-pointers. Take three more mid-range shots. Like, that's really all I'm advocating for. I'm not advocating for like, hey, everyone stop shooting threes and everyone try to pound the paint here and let's go 80-style basketball, yeah. but maybe just a couple. Just a couple more steps inside the arc, knock down the jumper, and make this a healthy 15-point lead in the fourth quarter against a Wizards team in a second. Nick Claxton proved why you can't be talking about trading this kid, but why there could be other names, bigger names, broader names discussed as this season unwinds. We'll get into that in just one second. All right, before we get to that, tell you about friends over at FanDuel. Time to score this NFL and NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We've been telling you about this. You got to get on this if you haven't already over at FanDuel. New customers on FanDuel are going to get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 in bonus bets if your team wins on that money line bet. We've been down this road 
few times, five times specifically with the Nets already over the course of this season. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is just so, so, so easy to use. Wide range of betting options. you got spreads, player props, over-unders, so much more. Get into the awards market. Some Nets in there. Uh, most improved player. Mikhail Bridges, little dip down. Cam Thomas, little dip up. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL and NBA season. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. All right, so as we tie a bow on our off day for the Brooklyn Nets here, coming out of the win, 500, by the way. We can take a moment just to say the Brooklyn Nets are 500 after their first 10 games, and I think most people at the start of the year said, hey, make your predictions. A lot of three and sevens getting thrown out there. A lot of, well, if everybody got injured on the other team, maybe get to four and six. So the fact that this team is 500 and now has a couple of, you know, matchups you look at over the next 10 games and say, let's go get those wins, that is a glowing positive, and we'll continue to talk about that. The Nicholas Claxton piece for me is just what was your takeaway coming out of this game thinking about Nicholas Claxton and Ben Simmons and the way that these guys function or don't function together and what it means for this team? Because it's hard for me, even though Claxton is not the perfect by any stretch offensive player, it's really hard to see offensive production out of that spot. Know what you lose in other areas, obviously, but I, he's just such a dynamic player. Like I really want to start leaning into the idea of, of, of pushing back hard that he should be one of these guys that the Nets heavily consider trading this season. I, I know he's not the perfect player. I know he's not the guy, cornerstone, whatever, but he's really good. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. How do you walk away from somebody like that? It just seems like, I don't know, man, first game back for him. And I was like, yep, that's the kid. That's the kid that we've grown to love over the years. Yesterday, that starting lineup of Dinwiddie, DFS, Mikhail Cam, and Nick Laxton, that was the first minutes that that, that five had played together this whole year. And this has been a theme of the net season, which is crazy to me. I, like, this is just... And that's all, but that's last season's five, though. Like, that's last season's five after the trades. That was them. That Agreed. Was the I'm just saying that we're, yep. we're 10 games in, and this team, this the, this, this group had not even played one time. Now, obviously, that's because the Claxton injury and Cam Johnson injury, and there's injuries in here. Injuries are the theme of the season. Injuries are also what's sort of been able to kick the Simmons-Claxton conversation down the road a little bit yeah. here because these guys have been able to sort of, you know, not good for the Nets, but time up their injuries so they never they never play together either. Look, when the, Claxton's on the court, he is um, a for sure changer for the how the team operates, right? We saw the rim protection just instantly improve. He had a couple critical blocks, um, one where he just basically threw it into the stands, I think on a Kuzma shot, which was getting late late, late in the game. And that's like, oh, it's like sort of like vintage, exactly what you want to see out of Claxton. He's, his ability to just be near the paint and not need to space the floor is what gives does sort of open up space, I think, in general, even though in a different way than Simmons does. I, I'm with you. I, I, anyone that's been a proponent of like trading Claxton, I, we've floated the idea that it, by the way, that, that, that group was uh, 11 minutes and just absolutely crushed. It was like plus 28 net rating. But um, the, like anyone that's floated the Claxton thing, I don't think it's never an anti-Claxton thing. It's just more no. of like, does, is the money in the timeline going to line up with where the nets are? It's, it's, not, it's not because anyone thinks Claxton is bad by any means mm -hmm. the question it's just a fundamental question it's like whether you want to give a big long-term contract to a center like a sort of like not all like not multi-dimensional center he's like you know by the big shop locker and by the rim guy and that's kind of it so i think that that's more i don't know if my opinions changed on that but it's what it's unchanged about is that he they clearly needed him even with like even playing above their heads up to this point having him play is 
way better than not having him play. <laughs> and, and I and think like, that's you, not how really would you talked about that game. Even if, I mean, let's say the Nets somehow won it, but what would that game have looked like with Ben Simmons out and then Claxton's not ready to return yet and then put out this shooting performance from everybody, Mikhail Bridges included? You, be, you know, I think we'd be talking a much even potentially a little bit darker timeline here about, so you can't knock down any of these triples and there, there wouldn't have been that kind of rim protection. Like you would have lost that game without Nick Claxton. The same way that if you flipped it, you know, with Ben Simmons, you can still feel comfortable going out and winning those games. But th- these two players in their different versions of, of, of what they are, they're, they're critical to this team having nightly success, I think, is really what we come down to. Yeah. And 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 again, really, the only questions we've had about Clax, I really haven't had any questions about him, too. It's more about about, about fit. Right. And this yeah. is something just to go back to what I said before, is that I it's still is going to be a question around fit because the Simmons and Claxton minutes together have not been good. There have not been tons of them. So maybe you can't make great judgments about it. It doesn't seem like it passes the eye test in terms of just how do we want to make up the team. And, you know, if, if those two guys are on the court, then basically everyone's got to be shooting threes. Cause there's no point in the paint. There's no space in the paint to be moving around. I think like that will be the bigger question as we get through the season, assuming we're able to get Simmons back here at some point with the, with the hip injury. Mm-hmm. But, I think your best case with both of these guys, really Simmons and Claxton, really everybody, but Simmons and Claxton is to have them play the very best versions of themselves. So the Nets have options, right? Depending on which way they go, they either feel good about a contract because he's played above his head or you feel good about maybe moving on. Cause you can get like a huge haul from a team that could really use his specific skill set. I think it all, all of it goes to have these guys play as good as possible and put them in the best situations to show off their talent. I mean, Claxton and Claxton was clearly in that situation yesterday. And, and I'll say, really, that's what actually dovetails into being in the best position. I, I think it opens up an interest. I, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Another 10, 15 games from now, right? As you're starting to work your way towards that midpoint, the team is going to be competitive and, and they're probably going to win more games than not. Like I expect this team to be a couple games above 500 as you start to move forward with some of the matchups they have. But whether it's Dorian Finney-Smith stepping into the starting rotation and looking elite and Doug saying, hey, now's the time. Trade him yesterday because it's never going to be higher. Or Cam Thomas emerging. He has the injury, but he's going to be back sooner than later. Probably, you know, I, I said healthily, let's let's talk about December because I know they said it could be a little bit sooner. But let's come on. It's the Brooklyn Nets. It's, uh, it's medical staffs communicating. But he's emerged. And. You have Cameron Johnson with injury concerns. You have McHale coming down to earth a little bit, maybe more than you anticipated from last year to this year. You have now Dariq Whitehead debuting in the G League. Didn't look great. The percentages were bad. You also have Jalen Wilson performing at a high level. Trendon Watford, like this perfect storm is coming here where I actually think that almost maybe everybody is going to be discussed when it, ta- when it comes to like what should the Nets do as that deadline approaches months away. What should the Nets do? It is insane to think that they will both be winning more games than we anticipated, but also discussing where's the highest value on everyone on this roster. And it's a really weird world to be in. I I think you and I agreed, hey, maybe it's not going great. And you start to take calls on anybody and everybody. Now it could actually be going well. And you're also kind of reading the tea leaves on the future. And I I mean that, I'll, I'll say it now. I mean that all the way up to the Cameron Johnsons and Mikhail Bridges of the world. Like everybody will be discussed here because of all these little pieces and parts that are getting utilized throughout this roster. G League calls up back into the benches. It's a fascinating time to love this team and the players that they have on it and also feel like there could be a little something here 
organizationally going on in the background as everything does not fit perfectly all the time. And and injuries stink, but this is the if there's been if you want to look at one benefit, it's just I hate to even say it that way, but you know what I mean. Like if you want to look at one, if you want to take a glass half full approach to the injuries, it's that it's given these other guys a chance to come maybe be put best foot forward into this, some situations that work mm-hmm. the best for them. And f- by and large, everyone besides like Bridges, you know, and he's been fine, but kind of mostly has been really good, right? Like you've gotten so much, you've gotten so much production from the Lonnie Walkers and even like the Watfords and these guys that have even DFS, who's been put in a pretty good spot to start the year. All these guys have really outperformed expectations to a pretty huge degree. Real quick. uh, You know, who's the, we're going to get out of here, but go back to three point shooting real quick. Who's the worst three point shooter on the team this year? We're not going to, we're not, what's that? Well, it's it's Mikhail Bridges on any type of volume, but I'm sure nah, there's some. Daron Sharp over one. <laughs> well, who's you know what's the funny about that? You're I was going to ask you who are the three worst, like with actual shots. Who are the three worst uh, shooters from beyond the arc for the Nets this season? Well, okay, I just said Daron over one, and then it's uh, Bridges <laughs> and Cam Johnson, and then uh, Cam Thomas are the three worst. Who's the who's the best three point shooter on the team this year? Oh, uh, oh no, somebody, somebody, someone's perfect. Uh, oh no, no, I know who it is, Harry Giles. 100%. 100% for three. One for one. There you go. Daron Sharp, the worst. You're 0 for one. Harry Giles, the best. And that's one the for one. Maybe. That's all you need to know about three point shooting. All right, we're going to get out of here. Um, okay, a couple of things you're going to want to do. These are all the first couple here are totally free. You're going to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen Spotify, iTunes, leave a review. Five stars or bust. That's all we're asking for. It doesn't cost you anything. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe. We're on YouTube. Also, totally free. That's just very, very easy to do. Getting towards 7,000 subscribers over there. Appreciate everyone that's been over there. And finally, join subtext.com. Free 14-day trial. Get text, insider text every single day. Thoughts, conversations around the nets. We've been batting it back and forth with everyone over there. Love subtext. Join subtext.com slash locked on nets. You want this team to really try to achieve because some people might say, I found that if you have a goal that you might not reach it, but if you don't have one, then you're never disappointed. And I got to tell you, that feels phenomenal. That's Peter LaFleur, a.k.a. Vinny Vaughn. Oh, yeah. There you go. One of the all-time great posts. We'll be back again tomorrow after the game talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.